Welcome to Fair Talk, where we set out to provide enduring discussions on contemporary topics relevant to our economy, with particular emphasis on food, agriculture, and the environment. My name is Brady Deaton, Jr. of the Department of Food, Agriculture, and Resource Economics at the University of Guelph. I'll be your host. Today is April 20th, 2020, and I will be speaking to Alan Kerr, professor in the Department of Food, Ag, and Resource Economics at the University of Guelph about COVID-19 and its effect on Canada's agricultural sector. Alan is the OAC Research Chair in Agricultural Risk and Policy. He is also the Director of the Institute for the Advanced Study of Food and Agricultural Policy. In addition, he is the Managing Editor of the Canadian Journal of Agriculture Economics, where he has recently co-edited with Ryan Cardwell of the University of Manitoba, a special edition of the journal titled COVID-19 and the Canadian Agriculture and Food Sectors, Thoughts from the Pandemic Onset. Alan, welcome to Fair Talk. Thank you very much for having me. And I just want to say right off the bat for the listeners, we will provide links so that you can link to the journal and the articles that we'll just largely be touching on in our conversation today. One of the goals of our conversation is to introduce uh, this journal and this special issue. I will say Alan and I are doing this over Zoom. We're colleagues. Normally, we would just be talking face-to-face and and recording a podcast such as this. So it's really a a real sign of the times. Alan, did, did this all take you a bit by surprise? I mean, it seems that we're sitting here on Zoom, but a month, you know, a month and a half ago, uh, I don't think either one of us would have expected such a change um, in the world. No, it's been uh, a remarkable six weeks, and um, uh, there isn't a, a piece of uh, uh, society that hasn't been affected, infected in a big way by what's going on now, whether personal, economic activity, uh, social, everything. And so um, it's, it's pretty re- remarkable what's happened in the last six weeks. And, uh, and on that, um, it's been also just as remarkable how the Canadian food and egg system has continually uh, provided food throughout this. We haven't seen, there have been a few stockouts here and there, but they've been quickly rectified. And so it, it's pretty impressive of uh, the system, really a global system that has maintained food supply uh, at reasonable prices over this six week span. It's, it's very remarkable. Many of the articles uh, in this special issue really underscore uh, the ways in which the food system has been challenged by COVID-19 and to your point have are adapting to it. Certainly there are glitches, but um, these papers really look at it uh, at each sector and you can see that these glitches and these challenges vary by sector. And that's an important thing that comes out in the issue. I wonder if you can give me uh, and the listeners a quick introduction to the Canadian Journal of Agriculture Economics and, and this special issue. Sure. Um, Well, first off, uh, the journal, Canadian Journal of Agricultural Economics, is an academic journal, the premier academic journal for food, agriculture, resource, and environmental economics in Canada. And um, so when COVID-19 came along and was was, uh, becoming uh, as big of a tidal wave as it was, we thought that it was very important to harness the expertise uh, in the Canadian academic system uh, that work, uh, you know, have worked for decades 
on these issues uh, in the food and agriculture sector to harness their expertise as to what might be the implications of COVID-19. And so um, we've done that. We've got 18 articles dealing with very different aspects of the Canadian egg uh, system from food security all the way to pork, beef, to the supply chain, to the food retailer, food processor, to labor issues, land values, to risk management. And so the journal issue is really covering a, pretty much a gamut of everything out there um, in the Canadian egg and food uh, sectors and how COVID-19 may, may play out in, in these sectors. I should emphasize uh, from the start that you and all the authors of the articles in the special issue caveat your discussion of COVID-19 by recognizing that we're at the outset of a pandemic and that no definitive conclusions um, can be reached at this early stage. Uh, in addition, I think that um, all the authors recognize COVID-19 as a unique health threat and that has placed all of society, particularly the agriculture sector presently, under tremendous stress. Um, and that health challenge uh, differs by agriculture sector and by where uh, the particular individual or the firm is located on the food supply chain. But given that uh, tremendous strain and the novelty of COVID-19, you remarked at the beginning of the podcast uh, that you were impressed with the capacity of the food system, at least over the last month and a half, to ensure food availability. As I said, um, if you really look at the glitches beyond the headlines, um, there have been few of them, and they've been rectified very, very quickly. Uh, you could argue that this is a, a, a natural test for the current food supply system, uh, not only in Canada, but much of the world. And so far, over these last six weeks, it'd be hard-pressed not to give the system an A+. One thing that uh, I've read in the commentaries is, um, and, and you've probably read similar stuff, is this sense that after we get through with this, we're going to have to revisit uh, you know, whether we need a more regionally stable or more regionally self-sufficient system as opposed to the, what we might refer to as the global system that we have. Um, do you have right. thoughts about that? I don't see that. In fact, I see the opposite. Um, right now, the fact that we have a very integrated food supply system, and that integration has stood up against this unprecedented test. And so to walk away from that and say we can do better because of a glitch here and there, very short-lived glitches, I might add, um, is, 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 doesn't make sense to me. And moreover, uh, we'd be very susceptible the next time around if we are more regional and that our system is not as integrated. So what happens when a processing plant goes down because of COVID-19? Well, right now, production shifted and moved around in places. Well, if we can't move it around as many places, then we're probably going to feel those effects a lot more. And so I, I actually am a, think very differently in that I think that the more diverse we are, um, the more secure we are. Bill Kerr, one of the one of the chapters uh, or the uh, journal articles in the special issue goes kind of over the history of of this kind of tension between um, 
more isolationist tendencies and regionalism. And, he, and he, one of the things that I thought was interesting that he brings up there, and listeners, if this is a debate that you're interested in, this is a, a really one of the interesting articles in, in this special issue. He talks about this, uh, he talks about the history of it and the response after the 1929 crash and that the, the rise of, um, of regionalism or isolationism and the rise of terrorists led to the, um, uh, the uh, extension of the Great Depression. And uh, he goes through that whole history. So, and, but he, he kind of weighs both sides of the argument so that there's a, a lot of um, interesting insights into that issue that, that we're talking about in, in, the, um, in the special issue. Yeah, um, and I'd agree with, uh, uh, with a lot of what he had said. And there's a lot of literature out there showing just in general over the last uh, 50 years and even more economies that are more open uh, have flourished um, to a much greater extent than economies that are less open. And uh, I mean, a couple of examples, and these are at the very end of the spectrum, would be North Korea. And another example would be how much China has flourished since they started opening up uh, their economy, uh, you know, multiple decades ago. It, it, the transition has been phenomenal. There's always calls for this protectionism, and, uh, but generally um, they don't pay off in the long run. We've been talking in really broad terms throughout this podcast so far, but I should say in the articles, there are lots of nuances that are, are very, very important. I know in terms of food security in the article that I was working on, it was very important for me to distinguish from the income shock that left people um, food insecure as distinctly different from the issue of would food, food be available uh, in the near term. And Throughout all of the articles that are focusing on the um, agriculture sector, there's this careful attention and nuances that come out that are particular to the particular sector that's being exam examined. So um, that's true whether we're looking at vegetables or we're, whether we're looking at the beef sector or whether we're looking at uh, the dairy those nuances are really important in this special issue. It is. Uh, and, the, you know, all the articles are very good. And you're right. There's, there's um, things like, take, for example, the food security. It is very important to understand if this is coming from income loss versus food supply. Uh, because policy responses and what we should do are two very different things. If it's income loss, then we need to deal with that, which is very different than food availability. If it's food availability, then we need to deal with that. In a time of crisis, of any crisis, uh, the most vulnerable populations tend to become more vulnerable. And there's nuances like that in every one of the articles that are in this special issue. I wonder if you have the special issue, the articles in front of you there, if you might just read off the titles uh, of the articles that are in special issue. Yeah. Yeah, I do. So food security in Canada's agriculture system challenged by COVID-19. Framing consumer food demand responses in a viral pandemic. The impact of COVID-19 on food retail and food service in Canada, a preliminary assessment. Economic thoughts on COVID-19 for Canadian food processors. Uh, food supply change during the COVID-19 pandemic. 
information-rich wheat markets in the early days of COVID-19, the impact of COVID-19 on the grains and oilseed sector, COVID-19 impact on the fruit and vegetable markets, economic thoughts of the potential implications for COVID-19 on Canadian dairy and poultry sectors, um, implications of COVID-19 on the Canadian pork industry, COVID-19 in the Canadian cattle and beef sector, uh, resilience test of the North American food system, COVID-19 pandemic on, in trade, and the COVID-19 pandemic and short and run, long run implications for international trade relations, labor issues in COVID-19, uh, transportation issues in COVID-19, you know, the impact of COVID-19 on farmland markets, something very, very important to uh, our farmers and uh, risk management in light of COVID-19. So uh, a real gamut here of articles that are meant to really blanket the egg and food sectors and the important aspects of it. I'd like to turn now to explore one of the articles that you wrote, actually, exploring uh, the suite of policies that were in place prior to COVID-19 that might help a farmer manage risk, and then maybe we can explore uh, where those policies might be going or what changes might be needed. So prior to uh, COVID-19, what set of policies were in place that might help a farmer uh, manage the risk that's so inherent in agriculture? Yeah. Um, well, the government or the federal and provincial governments handle uh, agricultural risk or, or assist farmers in handling agricultural risk would be better stated. And um, they, they uh, in, in essence, in the past, they've stepped in to help farmers with weather related risks in the production of crops. And, and they have very strong programs for those. And those are very well utilized by farmers. And, um, you know, they resemble much of the developed world, in fact, and, and it's allowed uh, production farms to transition through some very bad weather years that otherwise may have not been able to, uh, particularly farmers starting out and things like that. So um, they, they're, uh, they're government subsidized and, uh, and um, yeah, farmers have, for the most part, uh, very much appreciated uh, the assistance of the government helping manage risk that they'd otherwise have to manage on their own. That said, um, you know, just uh, risk is part of any business and the government does not step in and cover all risks, nor should they. And, uh, and so there's a great deal of risk that, the, that is still with the farmer that uh, they need to essentially self-insure for. Would, and, the, uh, would the package of risk programs cover what's going on in the, in the current crisis? Would the traditional, not right. Right. No, I, I mean, certainly this is exposing some things that are not covered or have not historically been covered. There's certainly a question out there of whether these will be augmented to try to cover some of these things that have not historically been covered. Like we talked about labor and the issue of temporary foreign workers. So what happens when uh, someone in the Hall of Marsh and, and their temporary foreign workers can't get in or or decide not to come or things like that and they can't har they can't plant or harvest. Um, you know, in the past, the inability to secure labor has not been covered. Will it be now? Will it be this year as a one-off? Should it be this year as a one-off? Maybe. Um, 
And so certainly there, you know, this is exposing risks that we've not seen before. And, and some of those are not covered. For do you think that, uh, so this is what they refer to as a, oftentimes a black swan event. And, and when, when we say that, we're just talking about an extremely low likelihood uh, right. event. Um, do you see after this, us going back and, and revisiting policy to, to build this in, or is this something that we have to deal with after they occur and just adjust to it? Right. Um, certainly, I think the, the COVID-19 will expose some things that, that maybe should be dealt with. Um, but having said that, um, black swan events are not something that are easily planned for. They're very different. You don't know the timing, the form they take, and 99% of the time, the policy response, the most pol- appropriate policy response, is, um, is, is best done after you see the black swan event. And so, um, no, I would caution against, very much caution against governments trying to overhaul policy to, um, to accommodate this particular black swan event, because in all likelihood, the next black swan event is going to look very, very different. And, uh, and so I do say that in my article, to be the, that government should be very cautious about um, changing the structure of the BRM program in response to one thing, particularly when governments always have the option to do it ex post, like, like that's happening now like the stimulus package and things like that. Um, governments always have this option to do it in, uh, to handle these events. And generally, particularly with black swan events that are very rare, and, and we wouldn't have saw this, if we had this conversation three months ago, what would be the black swan events? And I listed them, or you listed them, or, or a bunch of people listed them. I'm not so sure um, this pandemic would would have been on that list, mm-hmm. and uh, and so generally these things are better dealt with as one offs. What are, do you have any, a sense of the current suite? So the government's responded in a variety of ways. What are your thoughts about how yeah. the response has gone so far? Well, so the the government's responded with three things. First of all, the temporary form workers, and I think that's that was good to alleviate uh, the cost of the pandemic with the fourteen day. Uh, isolation that uh, farmers didn't expect that cost and that will be a real it will have a real significant impact for those farmers that bring in temporary farm workers um, the other one of increasing they increased the credit by five billion to the farm credit corporation so that farmers could get access to credit but we've seen no indication at all that farmers were constrained for credit before and that um, and that this this is opening up some constraint. I don't believe it is. If anything, I think uh, private markets will be wanting to funnel money into essential services, which ag is. And so there may be more private uh, uh, credit available now than there was two months ago. Um, so that's another thing. Uh, and they delayed some payments, but uh, when you look at how many people qualify and um, the amount of the delay, it's really fairly insignificant. Well, I want to thank you very much for spending time with us today. And um, I want to encourage all the listeners uh, out there to take a look at the journal. And um, I just want to ask you, um, 
to kind of leave us with any last thoughts that you might have about moving sure. forward. So these articles are speculative in nature because we're right at the onset of the uh, pandemic, but it was very, very important for us to get this out, to try to inform policy, inform industry, inform the public, uh, harness this expertise of decades in these areas and get this stuff out uh, to the people. And in fact, I've already sent this to the federal government, provincial governments, um, industry, FCC, Farm Credit Corporation, and this and that. Um, and they're already uh, being consumed there. And that's what that's the important part. And that's what we're trying to deliver on. So, Well, thank you very much uh, for your effort. Oh, thank you for having me on the program. Thanks for joining us at Fair Talk. We hope you will continue to check our website for updates and the latest podcasts.